Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Welcome to the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. At least, we're normally your hosts. What do you mean by that? Am I fired? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, oh, I know, I know, I know. Okay. So we're actually doing a story time for this one, and we're going to be doing it a bit more often because there's a lot of stories out there that deserve to be told. Think about this. Do you actually know what happened to Boosted Board? That's the question for you, the listener. Do you actually know? Yeah, this is one of those stories that I think a lot of people know the loose details of, including me. I mean, I watched a lot of videos with boosted boards in them. But if I try to remember and explain what actually happened, you know, I know they had a massive rise to success. They were everywhere for a while. And then they just kind of disappeared, just kind of died. Of course, there's got to be way more to it. So MKBHD team researcher David and Waveform producer Adam went down that rabbit hole, talked to some people and found out what actually happened to Boosted. So they're going to tell us what they found. David, Adam, take it away. What's up, y'all? I'm David Mel, and this is Waveform. Today's episode, Boosted to Busted, the rise and fall of Boosted Boards. How companies skated a little too close to the sun, burned up, and vanished. Let's get it. All right, guys. So you might remember randomly on the internet, on Twitter, on Boosted's website, Boosted just very suddenly shut their doors, right? It was very sudden. Everyone was like, that's strange Mm because they seemed to be this giant monolithic company. They were probably the most popular electric skateboard brand. And of course, we've got the global pandemic and everything, but that had like just started. And it seemed like most companies were at least trying to, you know, get through the pandemic. And it was it was very, very early on. That was kind of an excuse that a lot of people were using for them shutting down. But it just seems so ridiculously sudden and they didn't really give a lot of explanation for it. I wanted to dig a little bit deeper to try to figure out what exactly was going on here. 
do you guys have any like specific memories of Boosted that you you want to share before we get started? I just remember they were they were the benchmark. I might have called them at one point basically the Tesla of electric vehicles, like motor, like little personal electric vehicles, because everything gets compared to them. Exactly. Anytime a new electric skateboard came out, it was should you get this over the Boosted or not? Right. Or and, like Boosted killer, like exactly. Yeah. And they sort of got so dominant in that space that I, I guess they sort of started to branch out and they did the scooter and they started doing other stuff. But I, they were the default for as long as I can remember them. Right. So anyway, like I said before, they're this giant monolith. They're, like you said, like almost the Tesla of electric skateboards. They shut down really suddenly. So I figured let's just start from the very beginning of the company. So about 10 years ago, a decade ago, if you can believe that, there's this guy. So my name is Sanjay Dostor. Uh, I was one of the co-founders of Boosted. Sanjay Dostor. Um, I was always a fan of vehicles and transportation. I thought about doing a lot of transportation engineering type of work in college and grad school. Mechanical engineer at Stanford. He's working on projects in a lab, as mechanical engineers do. <laughs> but of course, being a college student, he didn't have a ton of expendable income. So he had to stay in the cheaper graduate parking. And another friend of ours, John, you know, he had this similar problem, but actually getting around Stanford's campus. So we had to park pretty far away to get the cheap grad student parking passes. Uh, in his research, we were moving around between buildings a lot. And so getting, you know, half a mile away to one building and coming back could easily turn into a, you know, 20, 30 minute round trip when it could have been a few minutes just to check on something that we were building. It's a problem for multiple reasons. One, it just takes a lot of time to it. Like if you're in the zone in your project and then you just get a notification, ah, oh, crap, I have to check the meter. That sucks. Every couple hours they had to do that. And one of his lab mates was also having to do that. And they just got started getting really frustrated for it. So Sanjay was like really into kind of like different types of vehicles. He had a motorcycle but he didn't really feel like it made sense to bring his motorcycle just to go like a mile. Like it's mm -hmm. it's this weird zone where it's too long to walk if you need to just go somewhere really quickly, but it's too short for something like an actual vehicle, like a motorcycle, because you have to store that outside. He's gonna have to figure out where to park the motorcycle. It's just it's just not efficient. And a lot of people say just use your bike, but you know, at Stanford in particular, any college, like your bikes get stolen like mm, all the fair. time. Yeah, yeah. My friends at Stanford used to tell me like they couldn't, you couldn't have a bike on campus. And if you bought a new bike, you would paint it to look as shitty as possible so that people <laughs> wouldn't steal it. Oh no, <laughs> which is so sad. But yeah, yeah so they they start getting frustrated. <clears throat> He's got this friend Matthew Tran, and they kind of get into this conversation. They're having the same issue. They have this problem where walking can take so long and cars create such a hassle. And Matt lived in San Francisco, and he'd been thinking about this a ton too. Uh, so I don't know if you guys know this, but San Francisco is actually only 7 by 7 square miles. So Too small. Yeah, yeah hmm. it's this weird thing where it's very tiny for like a city, but it's like definitely too far to just like if you want to get from one end to the other. So it's yeah. the same kind of issue where it's like, a few miles. And only then did we kind of discover that there was a much bigger uh, problem here called last mile transportation that we wanted to, you know, try to address in our own way. Do you guys know what last mile vehicles are? The, you know, the term the generally term last mile vehicles. Yeah, where you, you go, you know, 100, 200 miles in a car and then you get dropped off a mile from your destination and you need to get to that place, whether it's with a portable thing or a bike or some skateboard or something. Right. That's the type of personal last mile vehicle, I guess. I've never heard of that term really? before. Okay. No, never. It, it actually huh. came from like logistics and shipping because if you think about like, okay. Amazon, they have all these big trucks that are just hauling tons of stuff, yeah. but they drop them off at 
these distribution centers. Mm -hmm. And then really the distance between a distribution center and people's homes should only be a couple of miles. But that is the most complicated part of the logistics. Mm. It's just getting it that last mile mm -hmm. efficiently, right? Because you have to use a bunch of different vehicles to get them there. There hadn't really been last mile vehicles for personal use. Uh, there were some startups like the One Wheel, and then there was this point in San Francisco and other places in the world where like scooters, you've probably seen these scooters and bikes that are parked places and you can park them. You go yep. like a mile, you park them again. That wasn't really a thing at the time. So the problem hadn't really been solved. So Sanjay did what any good engineer does and he decided to solve the problem himself kind of as a side project. You know, they're still doing their graduate school stuff, uh, they're, but they're mechanical engineers. So they might as well try to figure out how to do it themselves and maybe it could turn into something bigger because of course in Silicon Valley, any idea you have is like <laughs> yeah. a potential company. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is like the perfect setup. We're like, yeah. all right, he's got a problem. Yeah. He needs an engineering solution. He happens to be an engineer at Stanford. Yeah. There is a very specific need and a very specific group of people who all have the same problem. And if you could solve it, you'd solve it for everyone. And he just needs a rundown garage and that's a exactly. billion dollar company. And, and exactly. this is the story of Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. yeah just yeah. people who have like all these resources and they find holes in people's lives and they try to solve them for them. Uh, or, you know, find holes that don't exist and say that you need to solve them even though they're not problems. <laughs> yep. So they go to the toy store and they actually bought some hardware to make model airplanes. And Sanjay actually did a TED Talk later on where he talks about how they made the first prototype. And it's kind of wild. But the best part about these components is that we bought them at a toy store. These are from remote control airplanes. And the performance of these things has gotten so good that if you think about vehicles a little bit differently, you can really change things. They strapped them to a skateboard, kind of just as like a, a proof of concept. Mm. Um, you know, they, they got a motor mm -hmm. and they got a remote and all these little things. Obviously, it sounds a little bit dangerous, um, but what good project doesn't start a little bit dangerous. Of course. You know, you got to test the limits of like what you can do before you reel it back in and figure out what the actual use case would be. So the skateboard makes a lot of sense because it's small. It can fit in their car. You know, they can drive to campus. They can drive to that cheaper graduate parking and then just ride the skateboard the rest of the way, the last mile. It's kind of like the ultimate solution. On top of that, it's cool. It's fun, right? Like skateboards have this really deep-seated community that has not really changed since the 90s, like at all. Like if you look at skater kids now, they wear the same clothes. They listen to the same music. They make the same videos. Like... It's this cool, deeply rooted community. And if you build a product around that, that's kind of like an extension of that community, you don't have to find a community. It's kind of already built in, Yeah. right? So at this point, they didn't really know that. They were just kind of focused on like what makes the most sense. And then they kind of started lightly pitching to some startup accelerators, as you do when you live in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. You're just like, hey, we have this product. You should give us money. Yep. <laughs> so that's what happened. And they ended up getting into Y Combinator and Stardex, which is a really big deal. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they were expecting to get into any of these programs, but the people at these companies actually saw potential in what they were doing. They gave them money. And once you get into one of these, you're, it becomes your full-time thing, right? So you just have to like drop everything that you're doing and try to make a company out of this. So they take what they made at Y Combinator and they decided to make a Kickstarter campaign. And at the time, you know, this was really early Kickstarter. It had only been around for a couple of years. So it wasn't this company where like founders would create things that they never shipped or it was scams or, you know, that kind of stuff. Or big yeah. companies like 
the already sold phones or whatever, just using being like, it as just, a jump yeah. starter for yeah. a single thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like give us funding, even though you're going to buy this product anyway, and we're going to yeah. make this product anyway. But at this point, it kind of blew up. I don't think they were really expecting it to blow up on Kickstarter like it did. They were looking for $100,000 and they were selling the boards for about $1,200. So, you know, they just had to sell a decent amount, but not a ton. They ended up making $467,000. So they like almost quintupled their goal. And it was way more than they were expecting. They got 1,110 backers. So this kind of accelerated the idea that this could be a way bigger thing than they thought. I mean, they got over 1,000 people that were willing to not only that wanted to ride the thing, but were willing to throw down over a grand yeah. on this random idea. Sight unseen. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was It was pretty major. Wait, do you guys remember the Kickstarter? That's Adam, our producer. No. I don't remember the Kickstarter. No. I only remember finding boosted as a full-fledged company so i didn't i yep. actually don't think i knew that they were ever a kickstarter project mm. and there's so many kickstarters that go the exact opposite direction right. so that's impressive that right. they got that much this was a weird period of time it was like very early in kickstarter and i don't know if you guys remember but like a popular youtube format at the time was like top kickstarters of the week mm. Yeah. Yep. You don't do that anymore. Like, now the YouTube videos are what is the dumbest thing on Kickstarter yeah. <laughs> I can find yeah. and will this actually go to market? Yeah. yeah, exactly. But anyway, they got so many orders and they wanted to hire a bunch of their friends. It was one of the reasons we first took investor money from the outside uh, and didn't just kind of bootstrap it off of Kickstarter because we could afford to hire some of our smartest friends to come join us uh, who otherwise, you know, could get really well-paying jobs at pretty much any other tech company in the Bay Area. So that was like the birth of the company as we know it. I love Shark Tank. It's one of my favorite TV shows. I feel like I've learned so much from it. We interviewed Kevin O'Leary already. And every time I see like one of these new Shark Tank type like new company ideas, I immediately think like if they showed up on Shark Tank, how would it go? And when I hear this story, I think like this would have gone really well. They'd go, mm. how much money did you make? And they'd go, we haven't made any products, but we've sold half a million dollars of them. And Kevin would go, whoa, that's a lot of money. All right. <laughs> tell me about your customers. And they'll go, it's a very specific, very dedicated niche of people that needs an issue solved. And they're in a wealthy California suburb. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's a very, very uh, strong like potential customer base. And they go, okay, this is a good idea. Uh, do you have anything proprietary? And they'd go, yeah, we've just made this skateboard with batteries and motors on it. We can patent all this stuff. I think this would have gone really well <laughs> on Shark Tank. So right. that's my reaction to their birth. And I'm kind of hindsight 2020, but I'm not shocked they had a pretty great start. It's similar to how Tesla started though, right? Like they're one of the first big major EV companies. Like you have the upper hand when you are the first. A lot of people are just going to as long as you make it and become that staple, then people have to compare to you for a while. I think I think we're still in that phase with Tesla right now. Like everyone's comparing to Tesla, whether it's a reasonable comparison or not. I still think even with Boosted Board dead, I probably would still <laughs> consider every single electric skateboard from now I would compare it right. to how Boosted was and when I, it was popular. I think that's the interesting thing is it's not even just their technology, but it's also the quality, which is something yeah. that I don't think Tesla had at the beginning, right? Like, obviously, they're still having issues, but they're getting a lot better. But Boosted, like, from the beginning, they had this, like, amazing bamboo board. They had the best motors, uh, something that people cite all the time is, like, how good their brake systems were. Mm-hmm. The acceleration curve is, like, really smooth, and it's got a good controller, and they've got those, like, bright 
wheels that like everyone knows, right? Yeah. It's recognizable, which exactly. is some, which yeah. is very rare for like a version one of a Gen 1 product that hadn't existed on the market before. It's the thing Apple does that everyone strives to do. Apple has branding. You can tell what an Apple phone is, what an Apple watch is, what almost anything Apple is from yeah. just looking at it and they hit that. It's quality. It's recognizable. Everything you would ever want in starting a company. Yeah. yeah. Would you be interested like currently in electric board? Like pretend you'd never rode on one before and you'd never seen it. Today. Yeah, today. If you saw the Kickstarter. Yeah. It's really interesting. Today in 2021, we've seen the explosive rise and fall of electric scooters. Not even fall. We just saw them just like, appear everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so electric scooters are the same solution to the same problem. It's like this last mile vehicle. It's sort of somewhat personal and they kind of got commoditized where companies would just have them all over the streets and you'd see them on the sidewalk in San Jose. But like if I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think if I saw a company like Boosted have that same initial response starting today, I think, oh, they're differentiating themselves from the scooters. By being a skateboard. by being a skater oriented yeah. thing, where oh, a smaller group of people will probably like this more than scooters, but they'll love the thing. Mm -hmm. But that's that's because I've already seen what happened to the scooters. Yeah, and I feel like before the scooters, this would appear to have a much wider total demographic. I mean, as someone who skated when they were young, like I think, I think it would be super interesting, and I think the price point would be my biggest worry, just because that is an, an expensive product $1,200 is not cheap like you said this is this is more of you're paying for a solution so if you don't have this last mile problem like $1,200 is probably not something you would want and as to me it would be really interesting I think an electric skateboard would sound super fun um obviously I know it's super fun because we've rode them since but going back to before then I think I would have been super interested and never would have put $1,200 down but but at the same time if you have a kickstarter where a thousand people are backing it at that price point Right. Who, who am I to say? There are obviously people willing to pay those prices. I have one other tidbit. Yeah. San Francisco reminds me a lot of Hoboken. I went to school for four years in Hoboken, lived there for all four years. Uh, it's a one-mile square city. And during the height of Boosted, they were everywhere. Oh, wow. Because people, Wait, would get really? off the, people would get off the train, and they lived 14 blocks north of the train station. And instead of walking through Hoboken, they would Boosted. And I would pass people on one wheels and Boosteds and scooters all the time for a couple of years. And I'm that's just imagining like, all those cobblestone roads yeah, and having roads. to skip those. Yeah. That's a great yeah. point. Hoboken does yeah. not have the quality of roads, but there are plenty of like back guess, roads. And if you find a good road, you can know and you kind of memorize the potholes after a while. Yeah, so. I'm, much more, <laughs> I'm much more willing to skip or go an extra block if I'm on an electric skateboard where I'm not yeah. putting in more. Right, for exactly. Yeah. So yeah. if you live on, you know, the train stations on 1st and you live on 14th and you go to school on 7th like that, that whole commute became yeah. seconds instead of minutes because you have that sort of speed. So mm -hmm. it was really popular for a while. All right, act two, cue the music. All right, so they start hiring people really fast. You know, they start with like friends. They have all these talented people that are in their program at Stanford and mechanical engineering, all that kind of stuff. But they're pretty quickly expanding to try to hire more talent throughout Silicon Valley. You, you got to grow fast, right? If you get seed funding, what those investors want are just, it's just growth as yeah. fast as physically possible. But in Silicon Valley, it's pretty easy to develop like 
a bit of a toxic work environment at these places. I mean, it's pretty fun at first. You know, you have like catered lunches, you've got group activities. Uh, my sister's company in Silicon Valley, they have like surfing and like all this stuff that they just do together. It's like, it's fun, but it can, it can very quickly develop into this weird kind of toxic relationship. So I wanted to know what it was actually like to work there. Mm-hmm. So I got in contact with a couple former employees. My name is Mike McHugh. Yeah, um, I'm Stefan Reinhardt. I was in customer support at Boosted. Uh, Stefan and Mike had almost nothing negative to say about the company. And they had their own little loft. It was a pretty massive warehouse and there was a little upstairs loft. Where they got to like, you know, mess around with other customer relations people and just like, they didn't really have to deal with like the engineers and, but they said it was just, it was fun. Customer support loved it. Having this little loft to ourselves where we could sort of be kooky or, you know, customer stoke as we were called. We, we loved it up there. We loved having that freedom to sort of say whatever the hell you want and have that like privacy to sort of run our department however we felt fit. And they hired guys that they knew were passionate about skating. So Mike grew up in Australia in like deep skate culture. So I am a have been a keen surfer skateboarder for you know my my entire life and and uh, my my teenage son as well. When we talked to him on the phone, you you could tell that he was like a skater himself. Uh, I saw an electric skateboard ripping down the street where we lived in Mountain View. And I was like, wow, uh, what is that thing? It looks really amazing. It was a generation one board. I still don't know who was riding it uh, to this day. And I went home and I said to my wife, I just saw this thing uh, ripping down the street. I want one of those that looks just sick. And Stefan wasn't exactly a novice skateboarder either. So I had been in skateboarding for most of my life. When I was 18, I skateboarded across America. Yeah, it was awesome. Hmm. Um, But these guys are hardcore. So when you called to talk to a customer service representative, you talked to someone who, one, knew what they were talking about because they were really into the product. And then two, like they were just enthusiasts for skating. So whether or not you were in the Venn diagram of like, I just want my boosted to be fixed or I'm a skater and I just like want to know more about the product. Like they were your guys. Yeah. Mike told me a story about this kid. Uh, (laughs) There was, there was so many awesome, you know, so many awesome things that, that happened there area. You know, I used to sit right in amongst all of those guys. And if any, any former boosted customers are are listening, you know, they will know the names, you know, Angelo and Hank and, and Carrie and Stefan. You would have, Hank was the most patient um, patient of them all. And he had a, you know, a, I think he was about a 12 or 14 year old boy, Joey Verone, called in every week and talked to <laughs> Hank for about an hour about how he was saving for, <laughs> for a boosted boy. I mean, Joey would call in, we'd, we'd switch it over to Hank, say, okay, there you go, Hank. <laughs> did they just call the chat to each other or he, did he actually need help? Yeah, no, he just called a chat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, you, if you're listening, Joey, and you will be, he's a legend. Shout out. I'm sure Hank would, would love to say hello. And then they would just call in just to talk about skating. Like, have you seen this video, like, on YouTube about this skating? Like, it just it just cool. It just became, like, this, this love, lovely community. That sounds fun. And then if you're a really busy one day and you know he's going to call in, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. But uh. So the community aspect of the company grew really freaking fast and it kind of became like a hallmark part of Boosted, right? Like not only did you already have the hardcore people who just love skating and so you already grabbed that audience, but like they, their community was nuts. They started holding uh, group rides 
which I went to a couple in San Francisco, and they're so fun. And it's weird because it's it's one of those things that is really just enabled by the internet and like by the future where yeah. no matter what your niche is, if you get together with people who are really into the same thing as you, it becomes like not even about the thing that you're getting together about. It's just an excuse to hang out with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes this really fun event. You know, they so they just skated around San Francisco. Like I did a couple of these and we're just moving in packs of like a hundred up the streets of SF. We look yeah. scary sharks at this point. I mean, it's like motorcycles do that all the time. Right, and exactly. I remember Sam Sheffer's done a couple of videos on like group skates in New York and it looked really fun. Yeah. This is so funny. So many parallels to Tesla that I see. In this. <laughs> so many. Drop them. I mean, yeah, every, every car meet. Uh, one like a is lot like, of car companies. Yeah, too. one is like you when you work for Tesla in certain departments, you are a car and enthusiast, not necessarily a Tesla or an electric enthusiast. So when people discuss like driving dynamics or sportiness or like how different parts that you could buy could affect your ride, like they can talk to you about Mm -hmm. that when you're a customer. And the other thing is you mentioned group rides and people who will like advocate for the product and hang out with people who are like-minded. Like that is a hundred percent a thing that happens in the Tesla community all the time. There's forums, there's group drives, there's meetups, there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. And I feel like that's just what happens when you love a product enough. Right. So, have you ever right. done one before? I've never done one. I've never, I'm not social enough to want to go out of my way, but I make videos about the products just like lots of other Tesla owners. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's just like a hallmark of these tight knit communities. Like, there's already like, you don't have to organize meetups in skate culture because you already are meeting at the skate park. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you're not necessarily skating the whole time, but when you have this weird, niche that you're really interested in you post on forums like crazy you're just obsessed with the product and you just want to hang out with like-minded people but boosted in particular they're directly communicating with their customers it's almost like they're all friends you know like they host these meetups but like the boosted team members are like getting phone numbers from people so like the reason i actually uh know stefan is because i met him at the at a meetup Mm -hmm. and i got a notification on my phone that he joined telegram like the week that we started this uh this Mm. episode and so I just messaged him. I was like, do you want to be on the podcast? He's like, sure. <laughs> so it nice. works out, right? That's the kind of thing. Like you meet friends at these places. Okay. And so there's this famous story about where this customer's board started smoking. That was the most awesome thing that Sanjay did. It was legendary, you know. That's Mike again. Jumped on a plane and flew out to New York to solve a, you know, a battery issue that was there. There was two battery faults. Um, that sort of triggered a, a, a recall. That was my mm. first day in the office. Wow. You know? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that sets a tone. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not exactly the best thing to happen to your skateboard. Not I mean, we've seen like similar cases with like Samsung phones will start smoking. And then, you know, the way that they handle that is kind of shaky. Okay. They have a weird PR response or like they say that they're using it wrong or something like that. It's, it's, not exactly the kind of like customer to business relationship that customers are going to like. But the way that they handled this is Sanjay, who, you know, is the founder of the company, physically just like flew out to the person's house to okay. go check it out. And I was on a Reddit forum a couple of days ago from when the company closed and this person shared the person whose board was smoking, like shared a memory. He's like, I've still got like a signed like napkin with your signature on it for when you come came to help me out, which is like kind of how people act around like Elon Musk. Like he was sort of this Elon Musk of Boosted. Yeah. uh, Where they just like really looked up to him as like this leader, which is very interesting. Um, But yeah, that just shows like the company's always got your back with this product, which I think made people 
more comfortable about buying the product. They knew they were going to get like really good customer service. They knew that they were never going to, you know, buy something and then just like not have a warranty, never be able to talk to these people. Uh, they were fixing every possible problem that customers had. So they they started out right. So they've got this excitement. The community is growing, but they're still kind of small. And even if you think something is big in real life because you see a lot of them, yeah. doesn't mean they're really big. It could just be the communities you hang out around are, are similar to you, so you, you see things. But at this point, even though Boost is not like maybe a major brand that everyone's like, that's a Boosted board, people can still recognize them because they've got these like popular, they've got these orange wheels and they've got these decks. And like when people are riding a Boosted board, almost everyone knows what it is. After the break, Boosted hits its stride. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A, dot io slash wave to get started for free coda.io forward slash wave so if you guys were to guess what was the big break moment for boosted's brand <laughs> no no idea absolutely <laughs> is it rhyme with lazy bryce that as as a as someone who's seen a lot of products arrive in the public eye thanks to an obsession by a public figure uh particularly youtubers with a strong following uh, I'm very confident that Casey and I said had it's something to do. 100% the reason I know about Boosted Board. Yeah. I decided to talk to all these people that I had chatted with about what the inflection point was where Boosted went from nobody knowing it to everybody knowing it. Casey Neistat. Casey Neistat drove a lot of sales. My name's Casey Neistat, and I'm a, I guess I'm a YouTuber. So naturally, we had to get in touch with Casey. So Casey Neistat had started this daily vlog project around New York City. Nothing specific. He was just doing fun stuff around New York and kind of showing what it was like to live here. I started my daily vlog in, I'm going to screw this timeline up, but you could probably find it on YouTube if you wanted to. Correct. I started my daily vlog March 25th, I think 2015. I checked. He's right. Like if you just, he was one of the first vloggers, at least the first vloggers to like do it of this in this type. And so like everyone started to know who he was. Even in those early vlogs, he would leave his apartment and people would be like, Hi Casey. Casey. What's up guys? 
just it was crazy around New York in particular. It's hard to overstate how much of an impact his vlogs had on YouTube, like the like lots of parts of YouTube. You mentioned vlogs, but it's like the daily aspect, the drone cinematography aspect, the like community building location specific aspect of mm -hmm. his videos, like so much of it was the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I can't imagine being Casey walking outside and like zipping around the city on a boosted board, how many people would be like, that's the guy from the videos. Cause right. it's such a recognizable, mm -hmm. repeatable image. So I, I imagine that. Yeah, was no, that. he, I mean, he was a part in everything. Like even the cinematic unboxings of products, you know, yep. he kind of like, forefronted that in his vlogs too just like so many different things you know i i only now in retrospect you know like i stopped my daily vlog two years ago or whatever and only now do i realize like what it means to effectively have a daily show that was going out to a million plus people seven days a week when the central character was not even me the central character was new york city which was i think a really interesting way to put it and he's kind of just like this narrator showing what the city could be and the people and the situations in his films, really the meat of the vlogs. And he's trying all these different transportation mediums, right? He's got a car, him and Candace have a car. He's got a bike, he tries an electric bike, but- There's nothing that can compete with a boosted board. There's nothing. And I've ridden every device from a Segway to an electric bike to like really good high quality electric bikes. Like my wife had a car in the city, so we actually had a car. Uber, taxis, bus, subway, nothing works as well as a boosted board. He had that hoverboard for a while. That was a thing yeah. he rode everywhere. Yeah. I remember right. that. Yeah. Like, it, put those L brackets on the side so he could like hop up on the curb. I think exactly. that was the first ever Casey vlog I ever watched and yep. then watched every single day. In his stop. vlog where he opens the boosted board, it's like a Q&A. He's like, I used to use this like janky hoverboard thing, but now I have this. And he's just like super excited about it, right? And pretty much from the moment he opens that up on camera, shit just goes nuts for this company. Uh, at this point, it became a total necessity for his vlogs. He started using it in every single vlog because he said it was like the most convenient way to get around the city. In New York City, it's such, transportation is such a specific, narrow thing where it's like this Venn diagram of like practicality, speed and convenience, safety and security. So uh, an electric bike's amazing in New York City until you have to go into an office building. And then no matter how many locks you put on that bike, it's going to be stolen when you come out. And then on top of the fact, I always have a camera in my hand, so having two hands on the handlebars didn't work. Enter this skateboard that has brakes where I could just mob around that city. And I had brakes and acceleration in one hand and my camera in the other. I wasn't attached to this thing, so if I were to fall, I could jump off, unlike a bicycle. And then as far as security, I could just pick it up and walk into any business in the city and no questions asked. I could carry it on a subway. So it was... That boosted board became my key to New York City, even though I had lived there for, for 15 years at the time. I mean, New York City, if you think about it, it wasn't originally built for cars, right? It's this old city that really was like a walking city. And then they kind of just stuffed streets and cars into it. And that's the reason like the streets are so narrow and like mm -hmm. it's just very hard. You have to navigate around everything and it's hard to get around people. It's not that big. So that is kind of the perfect use case for a last mile vehicle, right? It's like, yeah. it's hard to use other mediums. So you might as well use this like, I'm walking, but very fast. And less effort. One of Casey's most viral videos ever is all, all about bike lanes and how there are constantly yeah. obstructions parked. That was pre-vlog. Yeah, right. there's always stuff parked in the bike lanes. And if you want to zip around New York City in any sort of 
versatile way. You've got to be in the streets, in the bike lanes, on the sidewalk. This needed a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And the boost board could go at 24 miles per hour. <laughs> yep. You could be in the street. <laughs> exactly. So you could you could ride in the streets and you're probably going to be faster than most cars, right? At this point, you're basically a motorcycle that's weaving between cars, but slimmer and you know, probably more safe. And you can walk it up to your apartment. And not exactly. Get stolen, yeah. It is like the perfect thing. Like bikes don't really work in this case. Scooters are annoying. This is basically his solution. So Boosted gets a ton of attention and traction just from his vlogs, and they didn't expect this to happen at all. I don't think they even expected him to open it up. I think that one of the uh, challenges for the marketing team was sort of matching the sales that he was bringing in. That's Stefan again, for those wondering. But it became so essential he bought, he buys multiple boards for when some of them start breaking or like if one's dead and he forgets to charge it, he wants to have one just ready to go. <laughs> like he is the let's go type of guy, you know, no obstructions, nothing slowing me down. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys did the studio you tour, guys did the right? studio tour. So like, how was that? That's, that's the thing about Casey is he's a guy who just wants the thing to work. So if he has a camera and a lens, he's not going to baby that thing. He's going to use it absolutely every way he can, stick it on a, a curb, stick it on a fire hydrant, whatever he needs to do to get the shot. And so you saw in the videos the way he treated those boards is like throw it on the ground, jump on, and <laughs> yeah. go. Like he's yeah. not going to baby that thing. Yeah. And th the thing you notice, even if I was never going to get one of my videos, I would always notice those boards are getting manhandled and they were just working mm -hmm. all the time. So I was never shocked when he bought when he broke one. I'd never go, oh, man. I can't believe that boosted board broke. I would go, wow, I can't believe it lasted that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he goes on yeah. to the next one and he gets another boosted board. I'm like, this guy could get any other board he wants. So yeah. it must be pretty good. He yeah. had four or five of them on the wall when uh -huh. we went there and they were just, they were absolutely destroyed. But all of them were always there charging. And yeah, like you said, one runs out of battery, you forgot to charge, you just grabbed a different one. Right. One breaks, you just grabs another one. He always had them for everything. Yeah. And the funny thing is like, like I said earlier, this is like one of the first electric skateboards in the category, but yet it became, it was already one of the like best ones. Not only was it one of the fastest, it had the best deck, it had the best wheels, and it just became kind of the electric skateboard that you'd get. Uh, most people attribute the acceleration curve and the brakes in particular as being the most important thing on those boards. Casey said like the brakes in New York City, like you need to be able to go 20 miles per hour and when you brake, not just get thrown off. If you can't accelerate your way out of trouble, you're going head to head with a taxi cab, the taxi's slowing down. If you don't have the power to pull in front of that taxi driver, you're in a very compromised position. So acceleration was vital. And then the other thing was braking. Um, the braking was so robust on a boosted board that like at full speed, if you were to hit that brake 100% and really not know how to bra brace yourself, you'd get thrown off the board. Like there's an argument that says the braking was too powerful on those devices, but once you learned how to navigate that, that became instrumental to its um, its yielding a kind of confidence in its users that said, you know what, this I can use this to get around. This isn't just a fun thing to ride around in a parking lot when no one's here. Right. Like, and a lot of other electric skateboards, the brake system was just like, eh. but this one had a belt on the motor, so that was actually the thing that would make the acceleration curve the best and also the brakes the best. But of course, that actually that would also break. So it was kind of a trade off, but it was worth it. So Boosted's basically having trouble keeping up with demand, uh, which Mike says. No, I think that's that's an awesome problem to have. It's another Shark Tank thing. Like, so why do you need the money? Well, we can't make enough. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect <laughs> exactly. answer. Yeah. Just need to scale up. Yeah. yeah. So Mike told me the story that every single time Casey would release a vlog. So 
Casty would post a video. They'd be in their little like customer service loft. Basically yell out down the stairs, get ready to ship fellows. They'd like call down to the rest of the team and they'd be like, all right, boys, let's get ready. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. You could see the direct correlation between, you know, he's ripping through New York and a whole bunch of boards flying out the door. It was it was insane. I'll just drop this in. I, I hate the word influencer, but there is no more perfect like storm for like a bunch of new people finding a product than someone that they love and follow every day becoming obsessed with it. Right. When I think of a Casey Neistat vlog from back in those days, I think of probably about four things. I think of Casey, I think of New York City, I think of the camera he's holding on either a Gorillapod or some sort of tripod, mm. and I think of a boosted board. Right. Yeah, and, and that was perfect. Gorilla pods, even yeah, drones. Yeah, a drone's a good one. But like gorilla pods, even yeah, gorilla pods, a popular yeah. thing. They blew up because of him too, 100%. for sure. Yeah. yeah, because vlogging blew up because of him. It's mm-hmm. just insane. They couldn't pay for a better ad than that. Yeah, they could not pay for a better ad. Yeah, than that. no. And and I asked him. I was like, did you did you ever set up any sort of like sponsorship thing? He's oh. like, no. He ne- yeah, that's true. If there was an affiliate program with Boosted, Casey would be like the order of magnitude highest <laughs> by a lot. Yeah. Wow. Like you've you've inadvertently sold a bunch of Teslas. Oh but- yeah, but they you know they added a referral program. But there's lots of other products that I know have seen an impact from videos that I don't get a cut of. But right. I'm just curious. Like wow. Yeah. No. If they had a referral program, and Casey would be like hundreds of thousands probably. Okay. So obviously things are going pretty well. I mean, they released the V2, the Stealth, the Mini, like. They started expanding their product line because that's what you do. They took seed money from investors. They needed to grow. They needed to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you even did a video with Casey on the Mini. Yep. Uh, what was that like? Oh, it was fun. I mean, I was never a skater. So this was me coming at the tech angle from something I'm unfamiliar with, as I do often. Like, I love my handhelds and my iPads and TVs and stuff. But, like, I was never a car guy until the electric cars. And I was never a, you know, skater until the electric skateboards. And I just was trying something new because it was high tech. And I learned a lot about it from Casey, and I really liked it, and it was clearly a very good product. So I think that was a win for them too. Yeah, yeah. What was like? Did you feel like he was just like so much more experienced at the product that you had to like? I mean, there's definitely a learning curve with skating in general about like getting your balance and starting to get comfortable carving a little bit and like how you steer and maneuver the thing. Yeah. And the benefit of the mini was obviously that it was smaller, but it was also more nimble that it had a like that back stand so you mm. could get around tighter corners and stuff. So I was just happy that there was like a lighter weight version I could hold with my arm extended and not drag on the ground. But he was so obsessed over like the dynamics of like this smaller non-long board mm-hmm. where now you got like your feet closer together and you can carve a little tighter and your turning radius is better because you can lift the front wheels off the ground, all that stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't have appreciated that if he didn't tell me. So yeah. that was all in one place, which is really yeah. good. I remember at the event that I met Stefan at, the the group ride, it was right after the Mini and the Stealth had launched. And the thing that blew my mind was that he was doing like ollies and kick flips oh, on yeah. the it's Mini. <laughs> stupid. It's how hard that is on something yeah, that heavy. But or... I was, but either way, like the fact that you could was yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Like you probably shouldn't because there's a battery in it, but it was, it was, it was still crazy. Um, so, so things seem good, uh, but as you remember, the company doesn't exist anymore. So back to our original question. Yeah. What exactly happened here, right? Things seem to be going super well. How did a company that seemed so huge and was growing so fast crash just as quickly, right? To really figure this out, I needed to contact someone who has been covering this since the very beginning. 
I'm Sean O'Kane. I'm a senior reporter at The Verge. And uh, what is your main beat over there? Uh, I cover transportation, everything that moves pretty much. EV startups, Tesla. He's covered all that stuff, and he's covered Boosted literally since they were first founded. So he knows a thing or two about this company. So things seem to be going great on the outside. They're going great with customer relations and the culture, but obviously startups aren't easy. Whatever money was coming in was going right back out the door and all that money was being sort of reinvested and spent as they got it in. Right. Like it seems like everything can go great, but you need to make the product better. You need to invest any earnings you get back into the company. You've got to grow the company as fast as possible. And overall, if you take seed investor money, you have to start seeing a return as quickly as possible, right? And this is even harder with hardware. It's it's one thing to write, you know, really amazing code and, and execute it and you know, see, you know, see your work pay off. It's another thing to like work on a product like this and then be able to like write it around. In like Silicon Valley, most of the companies are software companies. You don't have a lot of overhead. It's pretty easy to, mm-hmm. you know, make software and make it better, try to reach more customers. You're really your only overhead is like maybe your office and you've got your employees. That's kind of it. But even even companies like Amazon had trouble doing this, right? Like they're not selling a they weren't selling a product at first. They were just a logistics company, but they lost money for so long that investors almost pulled out multiple, multiple times. And Bezos had to be like, don't worry, we're going to be profitable eventually. We're going to be profitable eventually. There's not a lot of hardware companies in Silicon Valley that get seed investor funding because it's just hard to grow that. It's a lot harder to grow that. And specifically, Boosted's margins were like incredibly low, especially at the beginning, right? Because they were already selling this product for like 1200 bucks, but that was like, they weren't making a lot of money on it. If anything, they were like barely scraping by from the beginning. Uh, so it was going to take them a lot longer to become profitable. They had to get to a point in the product where it cost a lot less to make the product than it cost to sell. And they have the problem of their product is so good, people are probably not replacing them that often, right? Like they have to keep finding more audience. Um, so Boosted raised more money to reinvest into the product because they needed to start seeing, you know, they had to make it better. They had to hire more engineers. Uh, they had to keep getting the catered lunches, you know, to like actually get people to to come work at their company. Uh, so they ended up, once everything was said and done, raising about $75 million after all of the investment rounds. So they've got all this money. Uh, it's just that Sanjay and the others that founded the company weren't exactly used to growing companies, right? They're, they're engineers. In 2017, you stepped down as the company CEO, mm-hmm. and we're curious as to why you did that. Yeah, so um, so we had a bit of a disagreement internally at the time about which direction to go in as a company, um, and I won't get into like too much detail about that. But basically, we decided, uh, you know, both as a founding team and and with with the board, with the major investors, like, okay, let's go find somebody um, who has done this kind of work before, but at a much bigger scale. Because neither of us, uh, John or I, who had been there at that time, Matt had left at that point, but John and I had never run a business before, especially one that was growing as fast as that. So Sanjay decided to step down as CEO and move to the board. So he just became like on the board of directors, kind of like helping oversee the company growth. Anyway, they bring in this hotshot. He came from the same program as Sanjay at Stanford, the pretty much the exact same track, but he went the business route instead of the engineering route. Yeah, I feel like I, I just saw an interview about this where uh, I think it was probably Elon, but talking about like, Growing a company kind of has to come from inside the company. And when you take someone 
from some high-end program, some hotshot maybe, and he just parachutes in from the top, he doesn't necessarily, he or she doesn't understand why the company grows or mm -hmm. how it specifically works and should grow. And you can take time to learn that stuff, but I feel like it's typically better to have someone within the company, familiar with the company, who has grown with the company, yeah. knows how it would best continue to improve. Right. But, you know, Sean told me that, like, it wasn't necessarily the worst thing. You know, when the new CEO came in, uh, Jeff Rusico, that idea that started with Sanjay of, like, you know, we our sort of goal at some point is to help solve this sort of last mile transportation problem really got accelerated. That sort of aspiration became, like, the sort of like marching cry for Rusico when he took over because that was the way that they could really grow the business. That's ultimately always the problem is that the investors just want to see a return as fast as possible. Now, obviously, you've got this company that's got a super laid back culture because they hired a bunch of skaters, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skaters, business... They don't they don't match very well, right? I see, I see. And everyone was just really chill. They had come from like the Santa Cruz area or the San Francisco area, and they were just like, it doesn't match when you bring a business guy in that like wants to grow something. So there's already a little bit of tension. Jeff wants to figure out how to scale the company, and one of the solutions he has is to expand the, their like proprietary motor system into other form factors. There was a point in time over the last couple of years where it seemed like a lot of options were on the table for them, where whether that was going to be the scooter that they eventually made in the Rev or something simpler and more designed for sort of micro mobility or just more generally affordable and lighter. There was also some bikes in the work that were more either standard bikes. They also had a sort of seated scooter kind of thing like Super 73. So I, you know, they definitely were evaluating a lot of different options. Uh, usually you start with your core products and then you realize like, okay, if we want to sell more stuff, we want to expand our company, we have to hit these audiences that are not being served right now. So the two main product categories that they were kind of toying with was an electric bike and an electric scooter. Mm -hmm. um, they ultimately landed on the scooter because a bike is great uh, and people love biking, but they still wanted to kind of fit that portability aspect that the electric skateboard had brought. Uh, like an electric skateboard you could just bring inside with you and they sort of wanted to maintain that. Also, the whole like electric scooter craze was the thing in Silicon Valley mm -hmm. at that point in 100%. like 2017, 2018. Which personally, I think is a terrible idea. I don't think that you should just like, if something is oversaturated you should just like inject yourself into the market at the same time clubhouse <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that that kind of thing um i mean you you had lime and you had bird and you had all these companies that were like jump bikes you had all these companies that are just like showing up in the city out of nowhere uh, i remember seeing these scooters like in the middle of the road because people would just pick them up and throw them yeah. into the middle of the road and there was instagram accounts that would pop up like bird graveyard with just people <laughs> destroying birds like as like a fun thing. I don't know. People hated them in San Francisco. But yep. anyways, they ended up landing on the personal scooter. And most of the scooter startups were convenience-based, last-mile stuff, right? So you'd rent from, from a charger outside some business. You'd ride it to a different place that you were going. You'd park it, and then you'd walk the rest of the way to where you are going. But Boosted wanted to offer something that you could actually own as opposed to something that, you know, you just rent because... They wanted to kind of like stick to their company ethos of like really powerful, really fast. 
And you can't really do that when you want something to be like just a little last mile thing. And also, because they grew up in San Francisco, that's a very hilly city. And they wanted something that you could like fly up the the streets with, right? At the time, Xiaomi kind of owned the market of personal electric scooters. They still kind of do. Um, they've done a really good job scaling that. I think they offer like a, a Mi Scooter Pro now that is supposed to be able to climb the streets of San Francisco. But at the time, I remember I took the Caltrain to San Francisco from San Jose like every day. And the amount of people that would get off the Caltrain with the Xiaomi scooters was like, I don't think anyone in the U.S. really knew that Xiaomi was a brand, but they would still buy their scooters yeah. off of Amazon. Like it was crazy. Um, and those worked for like flat areas, but they couldn't really do inclines. So Boosted saw this opportunity of like, what if we put our motors and engineering tech into this like really powerful scooter and make it be able to like fly up and down the streets of San Francisco. Uh, and ultimately, obviously, the company was really divided about this choice. I wasn't super hyped on the scooter, to be honest, um, uh, as, a, as a direction, you know, for the business. Um, actually... You know, I stuck my hand in the air uh, at some of those product meetings and said, hey, you know what, a bike is the go. Uh, if we're going to do another product, um, that would be that would be rad. Um, but, you know, like any, any good team, uh, there was differing opinions. You know, before we went down that road, everyone had a different uh, opinion on it. But when uh, when that final decision was made, everyone got behind it, you know, as, as best they could. Usually that's the kiss of death. Usually when a startup has a series of founders that are like pretty close to its core and its mission and its purpose, and then that company starts to expand and branch out and move on to other things and a founder leaves, usually that's a pretty big pivoting point for that company where other people start to get the picture like, oh, it's not going to be like it was before. I might want to leave too. Right. There's plenty of examples of that. Yeah, Casey actually said the same thing. Yeah, when they when Sanjay left, whenever a founder leaves their startup, that uh, that vision that they brought to it um, goes away with them. And I, I think about like when Steve Jobs left Apple. You know, they brought in great leadership. They had smart people there, but there's a very specific vision that I believe Sanjay had that he took with him when he left the company. So. I think Jeff brought tremendous business acumen and really intelligent, practical thinking to the company, but it felt like the romance behind the device itself faded. And in my business experience, it's always like, first you develop a mission statement, second you write it on the wall, and then that becomes religion. Like everything you do has to be to promote that mission statement. And when I look at Boosted Board under Sanjay's guidance, I see that, I see that. And when I look at it, um, in the time after he left, I saw something about, you know, it, that romance faded and in its place came like, how do we expand this company? How do we scale this company? How do we meet these insane valuations that we raised money at? And that's never a great recipe for, for success. And that's a big reason why a lot of the employees started leaving. They started finding a lot of different jobs around Silicon Valley. And if you go on Reddit, there's like all these posts on the Boosted subreddit of like, bring back Sanjay, hashtag bring back Sanjay. Like, <laughs> you know, pe people started like thinking ahead, like, did he get outed? Like it just started because the community was so powerful, yeah. right? Like the, they were so invested in what was happening at the company. It wasn't really like a corporation. It was like it was like their friends. So it just felt weird to have Sanjay like leave the company when he 
built this thing. I kind of wonder if that guy that was calling every week was still calling every week, just like, so like, <laughs> what's going on, guys? Yeah. <laughs> what's, uh, what's good with the skateboards? Yeah, just like, when's the next product coming out? Are you still making a skateboard? Yeah. Man. Um, so there was also this worry that the company had like leveraged a little too much on the scooter. I don't know if you guys remember, but the the Boosted Rev, which was the name of the scooter, was not cheap. It was like $2,000, uh, yeah. right? And like... You could say the skateboard was expensive at twelve hundred, but then you bring in two thousand. It's a it's a scooter, so it's not as cool. It's really big. It's heavy. It's like forty pounds. <laughs> like this and it was big. also entering in a market that already had competitors. I feel exactly. like when Boosted showed up with an electric longboard, I don't really know if anyone knew how much that should cost. All they knew is it solved an issue, and there wasn't really any other version, so they right. got the Boosted twelve hundred bucks. Okay. When the scooter came around, I remember immediately. When I'm doing my research, I'm like, all right, I got to compare it to these six or seven other scooters that are out there. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is a this is a very different approach. It's yeah. much heavier and much bigger and bulkier. And maybe that's a different demographic or maybe that's just, diff- just a different way of doing the same thing, solving mm-hmm. the same problem. So, yeah, they definitely got that comparison happening from yeah. every angle. And again, like the Xiaomi's had already flooded the market. They were only like 400 bucks. Like it was a oh, wow. big difference. Like yeah. you're paying a lot more for this thing just because it could go faster and it could like go up the hills without as much of an issue. Uh, I think their kind of like idea was that people feel more comfortable on the scooters than they do on skateboards because you use two feet on it, you have two handlebars, all of that kind of stuff, but it just it just wasn't the same as riding a skateboard. It's a totally different experience. After the break, an attempted pivot? Stick with us. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up 
Fight on. Do you guys remember your first time seeing the Rev? Like, wh what were your impressions? I remember we got it out the box and just starting, I think we just like zipped it around the studio on the carpet for a little bit and the thing would <laughs> like spin the wheel so fast it would <laughs> sort of tear up the carpet and we we're like, this thing is serious, we need to go outside. Yeah. And uh, it was immediately very fun and very fast. It, it again felt similar to like the boosted where it was like this felt like it was more a method of transportation, less a toy, less mm -hmm. just like something you would grab as a hobby. It's like, well, it kind of made sense that it was that expensive because it, it was built like a tank. It went very fast. It was super easy to pick up. And I like got it. But then at the same time, as someone who's just never had to deal with something like that, like last mile transportation, I've, I couldn't see I couldn't tell if somebody was willing to pay right. two grand for something. It's that. such a specific demographic mm -hmm. because you need to be living in a place that's hilly yeah. specifically. Yeah. Like, uh, I did the briefing for the Boosted Rev in San Francisco, and they specifically brought me, like, Jeff, he brought me to, like, one of the biggest hills in San Francisco because he was, like, right up that hill. <laughs> that was, like, the briefing, right? Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also remember we got one, and then it was recalled and then we got another one to test and then they took that one back too right yeah they never told us what i mean i guess just it was a review unit but they let us keep i mean the first they one let us keep all the past boosted boards right all the boosted boards are still around the studio i just remember they they said hey there's a problem with one of them we're gonna like just take it back and replace it and literally they showed up here at the studio he rode a different one to the studio, <laughs> gave me that one, and I gave him the other one, and he rode that home. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I guess they're just swapping it out. Maybe there's something new about the new one. I don't think I ever asked or found out yeah. why. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but the main problem was that there was someone at The Verge who was reviewing it, and there was a problem with the latch and the way that the like top half would fold. Oh, I vaguely And that. if you were holding the board... Uh, if you're carrying the board without having folded it, sometimes it would like close on its own and it broke someone's finger at the verge. Oh, uh, and wow. they wrote this whole article like the boosted rev broke my finger. <laughs> not mine, my colleague Andy's. Yikes. Which is not great PR. Not no. at all. Of course no. not. They didn't want a bunch of reviewers with broken hands. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the number one rule in, in marketing is don't hurt the reviewer that <laughs> yeah. when you give it to them, because that's a that's an easy headline. So yeah. like if the phone explodes or something, they should take it it's back. Probably not a great Got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so I asked like everybody, I was like, what like why do you think do you think the rev was the problem that the company failed? Because I was trying to figure out like why did the company just go under? And Every single person was like, I don't think it was the biggest problem, but the culture around Boosted is a skater culture. And as Casey said to me- Scooters are like rollerblades. No matter how popular they get, they'll never really break through because mm -hmm. there's no way to look cool on a fucking scooter. <laughs> I, I don't care how no, good absolutely. you are at rollerblading. Why yeah. did rollerblading die? Because you look like a, you look like, and I, when I was a kid, I like went to Woodward Skate Camp for rollerblading. I was like a really good rollerblader. The whole, the whole sport died out. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how good you look. You don't look cool on rollerblades. Yeah. And you don't look cool on scooters. Fair. That, um, that is, I think I had a line kind of like that in the review. I think we specifically had shots in the review that almost just like, yeah, felt lame. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, listen, yeah, you, you, I, I get the scooter. Yeah. I get the scooter completely. Like, it is much easier to ride a scooter than a skateboard. Like, yeah. when we had it here, I brought my wife out on the back, and within one minute, she was full speed on the boosted red, just mm -hmm. zipping around but, out here. But you're also like, at this point, uh, Marquez gets up and pretends to ride a scooter, and 
let's be real, he looks uh, he looks pretty dumb. No offense to your scooter riders out there, I totally get how functional they are. Uh, okay, let's continue. Yeah, yeah, like it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. like you're skate. If you're skating on a longboard, you're like carving around, and you yeah, like which, you look pretty sick. And when you're on a scooter, you're like, that's a scooter. What do we associate scooters with? Children, yeah, like generally. yeah, like yeah. razor scooter. Like, exactly. I don't, I don't know why it is so deeply ingrained in our like body language that like doing this is so much cooler than doing this. Isn't but there, it just is. This works yeah. great for an audio medium, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a, there's a. Yeah. Everyone know if, knows what we're doing. I think there's a meme. I think it's a TikTok meme of like things that are humiliating for no reason, <laughs> and like some of them is just like I don't know, like. Checking out this one weird thing at groceries or just like having to stand up in front of a group of people like understandably humiliating things and then there's like riding a scooter (laughs) That's just humiliating for no reason as someone that owns a scooter for my last mile ride to my apartment, I'm feeling really hurt about this whole conversation. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> I think you just like, you, you think of a scooter, you think of like a guy in a business suit for some reason. If, if you're an adult riding a scooter, <laughs> you feel like you're you're lame and you're like in a business suit. If I'm being honest, as someone who has skated and snowboarded for the majority of my life, I would feel a thousand times safer on a boosted rev in New York City than I would on a boosted board. Just because yeah. of how intense yeah. The city is. I don't I, think Casey was too concerned about the safety. Ca- Casey was like a pro at doing yeah. that. And I don't like, I think a very big portion of that comes from him being a skater. But I think a very, an even bigger portion of that comes from him being someone like who knows the city so well and knows how to react in those yeah. circumstances. I think that's why Sam Sheffer can do it as well. I feel like I would die if I wrote a right. piece of board. Same. There's a clip of um, at the end of Kara Swisher's interviewing Elon mm-hmm. Musk. Let me, let me see if I can find a clip real quick. Make a scooter. Make a scooter and I'll go for it. Actually, they are electric. What am I talking about? They're electric. I don't know. Like, there was like uh, some people in the studio wanted to make a scooter, but I was like, ah, it's. I love the scooter. I know. No, it's get on like the lacks dignity. No, it's it like doesn't scooters, lack dignity. Yes, they do. They don't lack dignity. What are you talking about? One of those things, I, I, yes, I do it all the time. I look fantastic. They do not. I, I, you are under laboring under delusion. <laughs> you lack dignity. <laughs> <laughs> like that clip, I was dying. Okay, by the way, the rest of that interview is great, so we'll link it in the show notes. Casey became like an icon on that boosted board of New York City, right? Like even in the new Tom and Jerry movie, there's that clip of J- uh, Tom the cat because it's a Tom cat. Yeah. I just learned about that yesterday. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. But uh, he's writing a boosted board throughout New York City, and it's weird. It's like they have a bunch of like product placement for boosted. In the movie, <laughs> yeah, that was. So I think they must have started the movie like a long time before they went out of business. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I don't think that Casey would have become an icon on a scooter. That's all. That's all I have to say about Casey that. Casey was squarely yeah. in the middle of the target demographic for the board, and he was squarely out of the target demographic for the scooter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's no way to look cool on a fucking scooter. There's Casey again. Like he was cool. Yeah. Any, anyway. Yeah. Okay. We gotta get back to why the company fell. Okay. Yeah. What happened? So they're leveraging a lot on the scooter. So uh, investors are looking for a return pretty soon because at this point it had been a while, you know. And they had done like all these products. They did the mainline product. They did the V2, the V3, the Mini, the Stealth, and now they were trying to launch the Rev. Uh, and the Rev was really supposed to be a part of that like return, right? When Jeff came in, he was like, we got to make the scooter. It's going to be the real moneymaker for us. And like 
they they had done some things to make more money. Like Jeff was able to get the skateboards into more markets, whereas before they were only really serving the U.S., but now they're in like a bunch of different global markets. So that's good. But still, it wasn't great. And right in the middle of all of this, there is the Trump-China trade war. The tariffs are high. They are the upper Adding end. Increasing tariffs on many Adding imports. a reversal of the China tariff policy. This made components being imported into the U.S., like, from China way more expensive because there was like a 20, 25, up to a 25% tariff, right? So it was just, it was was not great. Uh, And you're either going to do one of two things. You're going to pass those costs onto consumers and jack up the price of your uh, components. I remember I was in, I was at Computex in Taiwan right as this was going on. There were computer companies that were like, hey, we announced this price, but it's actually going to be 25% more now, right? You can either pass on those prices to your consumers or you can eat the cost if you're a giant company and you want to maintain a good relationship with your customers and you're okay with eating those margins. But Boosted was already barely making money on their skateboards, right? They barely had any margins. At this point, they're basically paying people to buy their skateboards because they're it's costing them more to sell them than it is than they're actually making on them, which is terrible because now you're just hemorrhaging money in a million ways. You have employees, you have infrastructure, you have engineers. Not great. And it's not something that you could, it's not like a phone where you can sell software. You, you know, you can do a plan over time, mm-hmm. a subscription service. No way to make more money. Um, keep in mind, this is all before the pandemic. Yeah. So not a great situation. Yeah. Um, so it obviously starts to get around that the company's having some major issues at this point. Certain employees started interviewing at other jobs. They stopped doing catered lunches because, like, they need to save money in some way. And I know I keep bringing up the catered lunches, but that's the thing in Silicon Valley is, like, that's how you attract employees is by having, like, the most employee benefits, like, Mm -hmm. at your workplace. So whether it's a gym or lunches or any of that kind of stuff. But funny enough, the lunches are like a telltale sign that a company is having problems. <laughs> when, the, when the lunches go away? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh. So things aren't looking great. So the boosted rev lands, uh, and it's kind of a mixed response. I mean, it's like fast and powerful and well-designed, but it's $2,000. It's very expensive, uh, and it's a scooter. There's no way to look cool on a fucking scooter. So the employees are not feeling great. Uh, they're about to leave for Thanksgiving break, but a lot of them are like, are we going to even have jobs when we come back from Thanksgiving break? Because things are like really going south and everyone kind of knows it. I think a lot of people saw the writing on the wall. Um, so, you know, you, you would see a lot of your coworkers uh, updating their LinkedIn's, um, trying to make connections with people that were going to other companies. So I think it was pretty clear what was happening. It was just sort of unspoken. Taking lunch breaks to go interview at other companies like openly. Wow. It feels it feels really weird. Um, and they just didn't ha- know if they'd have jobs when they got back. It, it was pretty yikes. So things are getting dense and a little complicated. Bear with me here. This is this is the real reason that Boosted kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Okay. So at this point, you've got the Boosted Rev scooters on ships waiting to come to the U.S. to be sold, but the investors aren't giving Boosted any more money. So Boosted's just kind of like, please, we need to stay afloat. We need to be able to keep paying our employees. Those scooters are on ships. They're ready to come to the U.S., uh, but they won't give them any more money. They've completely like closed the pocketbooks. So they have this like last-ditch effort, and they go to this company called Structural Capital, 
which is something called a venture debt fund. Yeah, it's big late, late stage capitalism vibes. And uh, and so they took some money from this company, not from a position of strength, right? This is the kind of company that you take money from, not when you have like a lot of, uh, uh, you're not coming from a strong place. But they didn't really care because like, again, they had like all of these scooters, like thousands of scooters on these ships. They were just waiting to come to the US and they were like, okay, it doesn't matter how much the margin of like what we're borrowing is, what we need to return them. We will sell these like scooters. We had already taken pre-orders. We'll be able to pay them back. We just need the money now so we can pay our employees and not actually just go out of business. But, you know, like I said, like taking money from a venture debt fund is very much a last ditch effort. The better end game here would just to get acquired by a company that maybe has some more resources and could just give you money to stay afloat. And they're OK that you're losing money for a little bit because their long term goal is to grow you. Uh, but they really need the money, so they end up taking the loan from these guys. So at this point, everyone, even the employees like Mike, who worked in customer relations, are going out to lunch with their friends in Silicon Valley trying to get acquired. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Cody, Cody and I, who, I, who I work with, we just got together and said, you know what, let's just see what we can do here. Just through our own networks, it's just like, oh, you know, well, I, I met these guys and, and they'll... You know, say, oh, we'll go and talk to them and they might be really interested in it. Yeah. So around December in 2019, Boosted lightly started talking to Lime, the scooter company. And so they were considering this deal where they would wind up with $30 million worth of stock in Lime in exchange for uh, some employees and some IP around the scooter. It's not exactly clear if it was around the rev or if it was the sort of more approachable affordable scooter that they were also working on uh okay so just a scooter tech not the scooter tech and not necessarily skateboard or or bike or anything else because lime at the time was making scooters and lime scooters are pretty weak you know Mm -hmm. their moves are weak they couldn't get up the hills that boosted was getting up so they're like okay maybe we can like hire some of your engineers and also get some of your tech, and then we'll give you $30 million in Lime stock. Uh, but Lime wanted to know what they were in for with a failing company like Boosted. So they started coming into the Boosted office and interviewing employees on site to kind of like see if they really want to go through with this deal. That doesn't sound normal. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that sounds kind of predatory. Mm-hmm. TBH. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think you're onto something. Uh, so they're in- interviewing employees on site, like not all of the employees, but just the ones they're interested in, which the other employees are like, what is going on? Like, imagine the F, it basically feels like the FBI is like swarming your headquarters and just interviewing people and you don't know what's happening. It's because Lime knows they have all the leverage. Yeah. Like Boosted needs a deal. Yeah. And Lime has everything that Boosted needs and they can take advantage of all that leverage. Yeah. But at the same time, if you have all the leverage, if you're a company that has all of the leverage, is that a good sign or a bad sign? Because if you have that much leverage, what's going on in that company? Well, I'm like wants some extras from Boosted, like the tech from the scooters and things like that. But as far as like who needs who in this deal? Yeah. Boosted needs Lime a lot more than Lime needs Boosted. And remember, yeah. Lime wasn't trying to like take, they weren't trying to buy the company. Okay, they were just trying to. They were trying to buy em, buy employees, which sounds okay. weird. I guess that's a confusing. Yeah, yeah, part of this deal, they get employees, which sounds very strange, like you're selling people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very weird. Uh, and then they also got tech for the, the scooter. Yeah. So whatever. Um, so Lime's obviously interested, but the company is already so short on money. Like people don't, like Boosted's so short on money, 
They don't know if they're going to have a job after Christmas, so they're they're starting to get really desperate. So the original investors in Boosted that had given them money at the very beginning, the venture capital firms, uh, specifically this company called Kosla Ventures. While they had gotten a good amount of starting funding from Kosla Ventures, which is sort of the biggest firm backing them, there wasn't this really great relationship of sort of building that. It was sort of like, here are the goals and hit them. And so when they ran into trouble, this wasn't something where they could just turn back to uh, sort of existing investors and, you know, get a little bit of help, which is why they wound up turning to this debt firm. At this point, Structural starts pretty much controlling Boosted's wallet. Like every payment that came out of Boosted, every decision was not really being made by the CEO. It was being made by this venture capital firm, which sucks. Like this sounds terrible. Um, they couldn't make any deals or purchases or transactions without explicit approval. Pretty bad. But then, out of nowhere, Yamaha shows up, mm-hmm. and Yamaha is a little bit interested in Boosted, like as a company. No one really knows what that would look like. Like maybe they want to start selling electric skateboards under the Yamaha brand because Yamaha sells a lot of stuff. The more I think about it, Yamaha sounds perfect because they sell the most random assortment of things from motorcycles to keyboards like <laughs> yeah like yeah musical instruments <laughs> musical instruments yeah like yeah. it's just a very i still don't know everything Yamaha i know sells it's and weird like, i could they see make them, my yeah. speakers <laughs> yeah yeah it's, yeah it's kind of perfect because they sell motorized stuff and they sell electronic stuff yeah and boosted's like the weird merger of that huh. um so they're a little bit interested in boosted no one really knows what that look like lime is also still kind of a startup. So like if Lime gave Boosted 30 million in stock, like Boosted doesn't actually know what that would do for them in the long term. So Yamaha honest, like obviously seemed like the better option here. But Kosla, who's one of the biggest initial investors in Boosted, started to see potential once Yamaha got interested. So at this point, they'd already, they'd totally closed off the pocketbooks. But because Yamaha was now interested, they're like, okay, we want this deal to go through, but you also have to like survive as a company and stay open. So we're going to give you a little bit more money because there is this potential Yamaha deal, right? So they gave Boosted a little more money just to stay afloat. And this is where things start getting really interesting. Uh, the only reason we know about these details with like Yamaha and Lime is because there's a lawsuit going on right now between Lime and Costla Ventures. So the lawsuit which was first reported by the information, basically alleges this. Allegedly, because Boosted was sort of looking into both deals, like it had not signed anything concrete with either Yamaha or with Lime. It was it was trying for both because at any minute, one of them could just fall through, right? As the deal with Yamaha started to fall apart and they walked away, then some other people went to Lime and it was very unclear on the employee side of things like was this part of like a deal that was being struck or were people just sort of like leaving because they were being poached and that's sort of at the core of that lawsuit you know lime says there was nothing improper being done there was no uh you know the two sides lime and boosted had not agreed to like not hire their each other's employees while they were working out this deal whereas kozo ventures says you know Lime knew it had a chance to like kill the Yamaha deal by like ripping out these like core people. And And then out of nowhere, this guy who is a VP of engineering at Boosted leaves Boosted and takes a job at Lime before any sort of deal went through. Right. So that seems extremely sketchy. And not only was he a VP of engineering, but he was also helping facilitate 
the interviews between the boosted employees and Lime. So at this point, it really seemed like Lime is just like trying to Poaching, steal yeah. employees. Mm-hmm. Like, and they had no interest in actually yeah. being part of this deal at all. Um, and so he leaves. And then Kosla starts getting really mad because no deal had been struck with either company. And then all of a sudden, some more employees start leaving for Lime. So now Boosted's in this terrible position where they didn't sign anything. And Lime had, like, taken their employees without striking a deal, and Yamaha pulls out. So Lime argues in the lawsuit that it was fair game to poach the employees because they'd never signed any pieces of legal documentation, which is ridiculous. Um, So Kosla is alleging that Lime never even wanted to go through with the deal. They were just intentionally trying to get Yamaha the Yamaha deal to fall through by hiring away the employees. Again, this is just alleged in the court case. Uh, but basically at this point, Boosted's got no more money. They're dead. They own a ton of debt to all these companies, including that like venture firm that is, you don't want to go to. So you fast forward to March, and Boosted announces that they're dead on their blog. All of us see that. That's all we know about all of this, right? We don't know about any of this crazy internal stuff that's happening. They owe a ton of money to Structural Capital. That company takes all of the company's IP as collateral for the loans. So, like, everything. <laughs> yeah. So that, now, that company is a real shark. Oh, that, yeah. That company probably signs some of the worst contracts on planet Earth. That's yeah. crazy. It's like a last-ditch wow. kind of situation. Uh, but now Boosted's kind of owned by a bunch of different investors, right? And all these companies have to get together and decide how they're going to split up the assets of Boosted. Those parties agreed to structural capital being able to run the foreclosure sale. And then like certain percentages were assigned to each of the parties as far as like what was, ha- you know, what they got in return for the sale, you know, structural would get like 66%, COSLA would get whatever. And, and um, you know, the original investors and, and sort of uh, boosted whoever was left over would get X percent as well. So they, they set up this sale, but COSLA Ventures is trying to argue in the firm that like there was some trickery involved. So this sale was supposed to happen on March 17th. Do you guys have any guesses on what happened on March 16th? Rudy Gobert touches a bunch of microphones and tests positive for COVID and the NBA shuts down? Is it, <laughs> basically. Was it the NBA one? I'm guessing that's like right around New York City lockdown. San Francisco went into lockdown. Oh, San Francisco. Went the okay. day before the sale. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so March 17th was supposed to be the sale where they where they all met up and divvied up and sold off stuff so they could like fairly divide the company and get the money. And they had told uh, Structural Capital that they could run the sale. And then the day before, San Francisco goes into lockdown. Okay. Yeah. So now everyone's in lo- everything's in lockdown. Kosla doesn't attend the sale in person because they're like, can we even attend a sale in person? Like it's, it's lockdown. Like w- who goes to these things? And then they tried to argue that uh, Lime and Structural didn't provide like conference call details for the, like the phone in part of the auction. It only lasted 20 minutes and they sold all the IP to Lime for really cheap, much less than the $30 million that Lime was originally going to pay them. Wow. Like really, really, really cheap. So, okay, let's do a quick recap on what happened here. 
The United States engages in a trade war with China, which made things shipping out of China have a really big tariff on them, like 25% huge. And Boosted had so much inventory coming out of China, they had already paid about $5 million to the government. But they applied for an exemption to those tariffs, and they did get approved. The problem here, though, is, well, the U.S. government isn't exactly quick to give people their money back. So Boosted is temporarily $5 million down and in some pretty hot water at this point. So in the original Boosted Board blog post announcing they were pretty much shutting down, they put a lot of blame on the China tariffs, which is for sure a huge part of it. But it's not the whole story. So the federal government owed Boosted $5 million. Wow. Yeah, and they would have probably survived if the tariffs had not happened. But now, because all of these companies, these venture capital companies, owned Boosted, they also owned the refund from the government. So they've got this $5 million refund from the government that still hasn't come in yet, but it's a thing, apparently it's a thing that you can own, like you can own the refund as part of the company, basically. Right. a debt to the company. A debt to the company. So this is where things get really crazy. Um, basically. Wait, this is where things get really crazy? <laughs> yeah, there's so weird. Oh my God. I know. Uh, yeah, so they had sold the IP to Lime for super cheap. And then Structural Capital ended up selling that $5 million refund for $400,000. But guess who they sold it to? Structural Capital. To themselves. Structural got the, the tariffs on the cheap. Uh, through this new like LLC that they set up. And so they tried to make it seem like it was somebody else buying it, but it was really them. Whoa. So then that 400,000, <laughs> I'm guessing, is they're saying is part of everybody's... No, they, they just what? like siphoned it off from the com- from the rest well, of the Well, yeah, deal. but so they sold the asset to the company to start paying off the all the different people that owned it, right? But then they... so. Am I getting this right? Yeah, so they they so, sold they sold it, and that four hundred thousand would be distributed to all of the yeah. investors in a, in whatever way that they wanted. And then they're but taking then the $5 their LLC, which is structural capital, ends up getting the five million. So not only do they get the five million, they get their portion of the four hundred thousand too. These are some some sharks, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. How do you, in good conscience, work at a, you I'm sorry, I, the, <laughs> a company like that that you're literally just swimming around looking for like almost dead fish? I yeah. mean, and when you find one, you slowly kill it. Do you think in sharks the most have, methodical way? Do you think sharks give a damn about the no, uh, no, fish of course. they're eating? That's why the it's true. Yeah. I guess yeah, that is true. You just kind of do it to survive, and they make their money. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I should remind everyone this is an ongoing lawsuit. Actually, two lawsuits. Uh, There's one against Lime from Kosla and one against Structural from Kosla. Uh, But yeah, if I could sum it all up. Yeah, let's get a a TLDR version of this chaos. TLDL. Can I attempt one? Yeah, go for it. All right, the rise and fall of Boosted. Yeah. So Boosted has like a perfect Shark Tank story in the beginning. They're a crowdfunded project with a core of skaters and a really obvious solution to a really clear, clearly defined problem. They make a product, they engineer it because they're engineers from Stanford, and they do pretty much everything they could possibly do right, minus the one debatable thing, which is taking a ton of money from investors. So this is I have my own feelings about taking money from investors, but this is the this is the way they need to build the company. They build it, they start it, 
they have a core product of a longboard with an electric motor and a battery, and they're killing it, and they get picked up by a handful of mildly important people like Casey Neistat, <laughs> who blow up the company and the product, and it becomes a household name, at least in this niche. Now, it gets to this peak, and they realize that they need to continue growing to please these investors and making more money. And at that same time, a couple small dings like extra tariffs and small, you know, inter, you know, people at the company interviewing with others start to creep up as they start to shift their focus to maybe other products like a like a scooter. Uh, a founder leaves, and slowly, yeah, this is when, <laughs> this is where things start to get wild. Which is the trajectory of the company is now down. Casey moved to LA. <laughs> like you don't have this I think that's anymore. One. And this is actually a we we talked to him about this and he was like, I can't, I don't use this here. Like right. it's not it's not the type of city that is made for this type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. they they have secured their stronghold on this niche and they do not have a way to continue to sell products to that niche because the products are so damn good that they need to start selling to other people. And this is where they start to lose the culture and the core. And they start to branch out into other things, which is a good business move to appease the investors, but turned out to be the kiss of death as things start to spiral financially. Mm. And other companies, we'll call them sharks, vultures, whatever you want, start to see what was going on and take advantage of it in their own ways until the, the final kiss of death came in the form of a venture capital firm that basically said, let's, uh, let's reinvest Let's, let's completely end this company and take what we can from it. And then that was the end of Boosted. So I think this is a really depressingly classic Silicon Valley story. You've got a bunch of smart people at a good school. They make a cool side project. And there's just so many investors in Silicon Valley that just want to pump and dump, right? They just want, like, put money in, grow it real quick, and get it out. And, like, they're all looking for these unicorns that can make them a crap load of money in the shortest amount of time. But like like you said, you said you have your own thoughts about investing and like taking money from investors. That It seems like this was their issue. Now, uh, if you look at a company like One Wheel, they're in Santa Cruz. They're nearby uh, San Francisco. They haven't really taken a lot of investor capital and they're still going, right? They're way smaller, obviously. Mm -hmm. They never got to the scale of Boosted because Boosted had all this you know, growth trajectory from not only the niche, not only the skater community, but also just all this money. And they were able to have a cool office in San Francisco and cool, cool, cool. They can like get all this talent, but all the benefit that you get from that is equal or greater in negatives at the end of the day. Fully agree. You know what it reminds me of? Mm. I've said this before, but I feel like the greatest thing that never happened to me was having a video go really viral on YouTube. Mm. Because while it seems really desirable and you make a bunch of money and you immediately are like kind of famous and your name is out there, what that immediately does is it, it puts you on this hamster wheel of chasing that again and it's almost impossible to ever hit that again. And then you create this triangle graph yeah. of like you never really try to expand and organically do new things. You're just chasing the same thing you got that one time. Mm -hmm. And it really reminds me of like starting a company with a really good idea. If you get a huge influx of capital investing, which I guess happens a lot in certain parts of the country, but when you get that huge shoot up at the beginning, it almost feels inevitable that you will never 
maintain that trajectory. Yeah. You yeah. will either flatline and die or get acquired. And boosted hindsight 2020 probably should have been looking to get acquired somewhere in the middle of the boosted board exploding. Yeah. And they didn't, and they crashed just as hard as they rose. And, yeah. you know, we can all look back and say, yeah, we told you it would have happened. We knew this was ha- going to happen to you, but we didn't know. Yeah. Nobody really knew, and it kind of fell apart in an ugly way. But that's the way I think about it is if you can do things organically and slowly, I would take that over quickly every single mm-hmm. time. Hindsight. Yeah. No, I mean, like, the companies that do maintain that trajectory are called unicorns for a reason, right? Yeah. And, like... Everyone's looking for the next unicorn, but it never happens because they are so rare. And the amount of companies that the amount of startups that go out of business in Silicon Valley is so ridiculously high. And they're all software startups, right? That the their only problem is that they can't acquire enough customers. Boosters Boosted's problem was its margins were just not ever going to really be there. And then the other thing was like, again, how do you keep acquiring customers because you sell some someone something once and they're not going to buy anything from you anymore. No matter how devoted they are, unless their board breaks and they're out of warranty, they're probably not going to buy another board from you. Yeah. And that's just it's it's sad. It's hard. I think it hurts a little more to us specifically and probably people listening to this because of, like you said, they built this insane community who felt very close to them. So when we see, you know, you hear about Silicon Valley startups dying all the time, we don't have that personal connection with it. But Boosted, mostly through Casey and just through their community building, like in this tech YouTube world, we built a relationship with them Mm -hmm. and it felt it was something we all knew and something we all followed and yeah, we kind of got to live that rise with them and then watch them just fall out of the sky. Yeah. It's interesting to now know what actually happened because, right. like you said, it's super easy to blame the Allegedly. pandemic. Allegedly happened. Um, I mean, we still know more behind the scenes than like just assuming pandemic killed them. Right, um, right. But I think that was what yeah. everyone kind of assumed. Mm-hmm. And it was just so weird to have them, you know, be the Tesla of, you know, electric transportation and all of a sudden just like they're gone. But that's the short version of the story. But hey, listen, if you listen to this episode and you're thinking, well, crap, I really want a boosted board now. There is this guy named Brian Schwartz in San Francisco who bought all of Boosted's remaining stock. He bought the Boosted website and he started a new company called Boosted USA. So you can find all of the remaining stock over on BoostedUSA.com. I did try to get in contact with him for this story, but Wah, 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 they didn't reply to my request for comments. So maybe they'll hear the story and reach out for a follow-up. I'd love to chat with you. Please email me. Anyways, y'all, thanks a million percent to everyone that contributed to the story. Steven Reinhardt and Mike McHugh are actually now working for another electric skateboard company called Dotboards based out of Australia. And hopefully they're bringing a lot of what they learned at Boosted to that company. Thanks to Sanjay Destore for talking to us. He's actually working on something new again. So stay tuned for when he announces that. Thanks to Sean O'Kane, who's been following the Boosted story since the beginning, and for explaining all that confusing legal stuff to us. That was very helpful. And he told me he's actually working on some more Boosted board stories based on this lawsuit that just came out. So follow him over at The Verge to make sure you don't miss that. That trial is actually set to take place in October, so it should be pretty spicy when it happens. Oh, and also thanks to Casey Neistat for talking to me literally the day I messaged him to get a big chunk of this story done. I really appreciate that. Anyways, y'all, we're working on a few more of these long form style stories. So if you liked this one, tweet at us at WVFRM on Twitter or at myself at Dervidamel at Adam at AdamLucas17. If you've got any ideas for more stories like this that you'd like to hear. 
Today's episode was written and researched by David Amell and Adam Molina. It was produced by Adam Molina. We are partnered with Studio 71 and our intro outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.